Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything hangs right there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Father, bless this word. Encourage us. Father, if we need to get our heart right with you, speak to us. If our faith needs to be built, build us. Father, call us into your kingdom to work for the glory of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm afraid that for too many people in the world today, uh, church, uh, faith has become just this religious ceremonial activity that we go, go through. And, and sometimes even in, in our kind of settings, it's easy uh, for us to look and say, yeah, that's somebody else. But our settings can even become religious ceremonial settings that we walk through and we never develop this personal relationship, this transformational relationship that we can have with God. Your personal relationship with God, how deep that relationship is, how personally you know him, how much you learn to, to sense his presence and know his presence, is what's going to get you through the tough times in life. Uh, through the tough times in life, we all face them. Uh, this, it's that personal relationship that gets you through those times. It's the personal relationship with God that will give you victory over the cultural temptations of the day. It's that personal relationship with God that will bring balance into your life. They'll help you learn how to adjust your life and how to order your life and what's important and what isn't important. It gives direction to your life. It's in your personal relationship with God where he speaks into your life, brings strength into your life that will make faith real, especially in times of question. It is in the relationship with God that you will fall in love with God and you will find peace with him. Your commitment to a daily appointment with God will change your life. It will transform you as you begin to just sit and say, every day... I'm going to spend time seeking God, learning about God, inviting God into my life. This isn't a hard thing. You don't have to have a master's degree in prayer to do this. It's really simple to start. You begin to just set a time aside. I'm going to take these 10 minutes, these 15 minutes, this half an hour. I'm going to read a little bit of the Bible. I'm going to bow, take some time to bow my head and say, God, I want you in my life. I invite you to reveal yourself in my life. I invite you to speak to me about anything in my life you want to speak to me about. And I'm going to pray. And you pray for your family. You pray for your church. You pray for your country. You ask God to move in it. It's a very simple thing. And I want to tell you, when you begin to do that consistently, you're going to, it, there'll be times when it's hard, but God's going to begin to show up in your life. He's already there. He's just going to become more palpable. More, you're going to become more aware of him, of him being in your life. But this comes through this prayer life. We're, we're told to love God with all of our being. And it's right in that place with God. 
where that happens. And let me tell you, if you're struggling with your identity, you're struggling with peace in your heart, you're struggling with how to get over a temptation, you're struggling with how you've been rejected by people, or you're struggling with you know, the outcome of some of the things in your life, it is in this relationship with God that he begins to square everything up, give you new health, give you new strength, move in your life and new power, and you begin to overcome those things. It's in your relationship with God. Now, I, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I admit readily, the whole concept of God, that, he's there, that there's a God, I, I love the concept that there's a God. I like the idea. Uh, the idea that there's a God is very appealing to me, and, and, and I think it would be to any, any thinking person, even somebody who denies that there is a God, I would think that they'd be able to sit and see how their being a God would be better than their not being one. So, well, why? Well, get this. The idea that there's a transcendent being that created the universe gives you and me hope that there's a purpose to life. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about why that's a good thing? Even, I would think even the person who doesn't believe there's a God could at least see why if there was one, it would be better for all of us. First of all, if there's no God, then, you know, we're just an accident. Some freaky thing happened by complete chance, one in a trillion. Life began to happen, and it just continued somehow, some way, some miraculous way outside of, you know, that we can understand, and, uh, and, and we're here. There's no God. Here, bottom line, no God, no purpose. There's no purpose to this. No purpose to anybody's suffering. No purpose to anybody's life. We accidentally exist. We live, we die, and that's it. You take your loved ones to the grave, you say goodbye to them. They're gone, their life's over, their existence has ended, you'll never see them again, you'll never talk to them again, they're not in a better place. That's what you get when there's no God. There's no right or wrong, no way to know what's right or wrong, Basically, power wins. Power wins, and then we're dead. I mean, the, the idea of there being no God is not very appealing to me. The idea of there being a God is appealing to me. If there's a God, then there's possibility. If there's God, there's the possibility that he created us on purpose. He made you on purpose. He made you just the way you are on purpose. There's a reason he created you. He purposely created you because he loves you. If there's a God, then not only did God create us on purpose, listen, he created us with purpose. There's a purpose for why we, why we live. Listen, you and me, there's a reason you live today. This is why some people are so, so, they struggle so much in life. 
is they never discover the God-given purpose for their life. They're running around trying to do all the things the world does, trying to find purpose in the world. They either don't measure up or they can't succeed fully or they do succeed and find that it's empty. It's in God that we find purpose. God, if there's, there's a possibility if God created us, that he created a standard for right and wrong. That he says what? That he, that he ordered this earth in a way and ordered us in a way that we can get along, that we won't hurt each other, that we'll, ha- we'll have a, a sense of doing right things and not doing wrong things. And if there is a God, then there's a possibility that he made us more durable than we think. That there is an eternity. See, here, here's why I like the concept of God. With God, there's hope. Without God, there's no hope. We, we, this is just a meaningless exercise in, of existence. Become just aware enough of yourself to realize you're nothing and you're going to go into nothing. You came from nothing and you're going to nothing. That's depressing. But if there's a God, there's hope. Now, I, I, I'm going to admit to you, we've got to face this. Just because I want there to be a God or we want there to be a God doesn't mean that God exists. There are many arguments, many people debate this issue on both sides of the issue. People who want to deny the existence of God and people who want to claim there's an existence of God, even though there's, there's some awareness of God all around the world. The, the, the question really is, is there a God or not? And, and how should I know? If there's God out there, how does he reveal himself? Does he, does he take time to show us anything? And, and Romans, the book of Romans, tells us that yes, he does. He, he shows us enough that we're without excuse. Listen to what it says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I want you to listen to that. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For the invisible qualities, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that we are without excuse. Here's Paul's argument in this this scripture and what the Bible tells us. The Bible says that men suppress the obvious reality of God simply because they don't want to live God's way. They want to make an excuse to live some other way. And because of that, they suppress the reality of God. Not only do they want to suppress the reality of God in their own life, they want to suppress the reality of God in your life. They want you to turn from because that helps them feel better about who they are. Then he goes on to say, the Bible goes on to say, that God's eternal power, the power of God, and the divine nature of God are evident in life 
all around us. He said, begin to look at the universe and you'll see the power of God. You'll, you'll be bl- you're, you're blown away by the power of God. The overwhelming power of God that creates sun and stars and oceans is evident to us and the divine nature of God and how things should work together and be together is revealed in all of the things around us and the beauty and the glory and the marvelous attributes of God are revealed to us. The psalmist says much the same thing in Psalm 19.1. He puts it this way. The heavens declare the glory of God. They show who he is. You look into the stars and you see see the majesty of God. You see the greatness of God. You see the power of God. It's so overwhelming. It's so uh, mind-blowing that you, you just look into the heavens and you have to realize if, if there's a, a transcendent being that created that, how do we even comprehend him? It says that day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. The Bible says that all men should know just by looking at the world that God exists and that men hide that knowledge. They deny it. They cover it up for a simple reason. They want to continue in unrighteousness. That it is a natural, it is a natural mindset. It's a natural thing for us to look at all of creation and go, this could not be an accident. It's a natural mindset for us to look at all of creation and say, look, there's order to this. Somebody had to put it in order. It's just a natural mind process that we should look at this and be overwhelmed by it and realize that there's a God and people around the world, even though they don't know what God is, they do that. They naturally look and think there's got to be a creator. There's got to be a God. And he says to not face that, that the only way we don't accept that just by looking at the universe is because we suppress it. We push it down. And the reason it gets pushed down is because we want freedom to live unrighteously instead of righteously. Because all the earth speaks to us day after day, that God exists. So you can go through life denying him, but here's what God warns you of. He says, listen, you suppress this. You push this aside by unrighteousness. You deny my existence when it's so evident all around you. When you stand before me and you go, oh, God, forgive me, I didn't know know you existed. He's going to say, that is a non-starter with me. I gave you enough evidence all around you that you should have been looking for me. There's enough all around you. It's only our unrighteousness that pushes that down. So we've got to be careful. Now, when we think about that, and we think about, okay, what, what's being revealed to us is that there's enough, enough around us that it should natural then we've got it's natural that we should say there's a God. What God is it? Which God is it? Why the God revealed in the Bible? Well, I would just present to you today, and I'm not going to take a lot of time to talk about this, but suffice it to say 
that if you look at all the other religions of the world, every other one of them, and, and we don't have time to go through all of their claims on God's throne today, that the God of the Bible is extremely different than all other religions. Massively different. In all other faiths, there is some element of doing that you have to do. And even the ones that talk about paradise or talk about, you know, some cosmos that you're going to enter into. It's extremely, it's, it's extremely difficult to know with any certainty what you have to do to get there. The process of eternity is very uncertain. Where God in the Bible gives us a very certain path to eternity. Gives us a very simple path to knowing him. See, here's, here's how it all starts off. God starts the Bible with this simple claim that he created all the heavens and all the earth and he created mankind, you and me, and he gave us a free will. What does that mean? He gave us the ability to make choices. He, he's revealed enough to us to follow him, but he's given you a free will. We dedicated a little baby here today. That baby has free will. As that baby grows up, it'll have free will. You have free will. You can make decisions. You can make choices. You can decide things. Just, I mean, that, that's so obvious to us. But he's given us this free will. The problem is, is our forefathers used that free will to sin. Now, sin is a, a very, you know, this word that, you know, people kind of, some people kind of almost make fun of it today. But here's what sin really means, just so we capture this. Sin means that mankind does what seems right in his own mind. He determines in his own thinking what's the right thing to do. And instead of obeying God who created us and shows his love to us by putting us on this beautiful earth and giving us life itself, we reject God's love and we live life our own way. I'll show you how nerdy I am. Uh, I was listening to a speech this week by a Yale philosophy professor. I know probably all of you did that this week, right? Now, I know that's a little weird. Uh, but he was, he was telling this class, he had a new class of students, and he was telling them that throughout his class that they were going to have to, you know, look at, the, look at the world and look at the religions of the world and the philosophies of the world, and all of these philosophies have some claim on what's right and what's wrong and how, uh, how, how they should function in life. And he, and he finally, he says to them, but I want you to know that the answer is deep inside your own heart. The answer to what's right and wrong is deep inside your own heart. And throughout this semester, as you go through this class and we look at all these different philosophies, I, want you to, I don't want you just to try to find one of them that fits with you. I want you to look deep within your own heart and find the answers within yourself. Well, I'm not a Yale professor, but that is just messed up. Because the world's been doing that for thousands of years, and look at the world today. 
people have do, been doing life the way they think is right for thousands of years, and all we've got from it is wars and famines and problems all over the world, division and separation, racism, all kinds of ugly things have come rolling out of men's hearts and we justify it. Abuse, I mean, you name it, it's come out of the hearts of men. And, and it's, in, it's, in that, it's in that picture of the world today. It's in that picture that this world, the concept of sin, that mankind has done things his own way instead of, instead of God's way, that actually gives me a little bit of hope. Sin tells me why the world is a mess. It tells me why we have the problems we have, why we have the issues that we face, why we have the confusion that we have today is because people are trying to do what's right in their own heart and our own heart is corrupt. Here's the Bible, biblical concept. Mankind was created to have a relationship with God. That's what you were created for. You were created to have this relationship with God. You and me connected to God. Our passions, our heart, we weren't supposed to be these independent agents just making it up as we go. We were supposed to be ruled by God's Spirit flowing into our life, giving us a right sense of right and wrong throughout all of our life. But our forefathers rejected God's direction. They used his free will to do as they pleased. And that's why we live right now the way we live right now and the mess we're in right now. Because that broken spirit separated from God could not give birth to those who would now be connected to God. So we're born, even this little baby that we dedicated today is born with a sin nature. And it won't be long as that little baby grows, as beautiful as he is, as wonderful as he is, as much as we love little babies, it won't be long until their sin nature becomes evident. Doing life on their own. It's evident in all of us. So, so it was born within us, doing things our own way. And the Bible says the problem we have is you can't look within you for an answer. In fact, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Get that. He said, Jeremiah said, you know, your heart that you think is, is you know, going to lead you the right way, it's lying to you. It's telling you things that aren't true. It's deceitful. It makes you feel like you've got the right answer, and you don't. It makes you feel like you know what to do and you don't know what to do. He says it's, it's, a, it's deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? We run right into this when we begin to follow Christ. The conflict of our heart becomes clear and clear because what happens when we begin to follow Christ, you begin to read his word, you begin to discover what he tells us to do and we read something very simple like, thou shalt not lie. And then we start, then we go out of our prayer closet and we enter into life and we run into a set of circumstances. And what does our heart say? Don't tell them the truth. Lie right now. 
It's better for you if you lie. It'll go better if you lie. It'll work out better if you lie. Lie right now. You're smart enough. You know that if you tell the truth, this is going to be really bad. Lie. We go through life. Somebody mistreats us. And our heart yells out to us. Don't you just hate them? Don't you just despise them? The way they treated you, what they did to you? And you think back, well, the Bible says I'm supposed to love those who, you know, abuse me and love those and want the best for those who spitefully say things about me and do stuff. Your heart's going, no, 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 that can't be right. That can't be right. God God understands why you hate that person. God probably hates them too. God, you know, your, your heart, what? Because your heart's deceitful. I've got to come to this conclusion that my heart's deceitful, God's word is pure. So, you know, you've got this guy or gal and they want to have a relationship with you and the Bible says that relationship is wrong and what does your heart say? No, it's not. God understands you love them. They love you. You know, you feel this way. You're attracted to this. It's all okay. It's all okay. Why? Because your heart is deceitfully wicked. You cannot trust it. You will not be healthy in God until you look at yourself in the mirror and go, I cannot trust what you're telling me. I've got to trust what God's telling me. I've got to put my faith in him. So your heart says, seek revenge. Your heart says, it's okay if you steal that. Your heart says, it's okay to lust. Just remember, as you're going through life, friend, don't get anything else out of the day. As you go through life, just remember this. You cannot trust the voice within you. You've got to trust God's voice. If it's in conflict with God's word, it is messed up. I can't trust my selfishness. I can't trust my anger. I can't trust any of that junk flowing out from me because I'm messed up. I'm telling you, that gives me a little bit of hope that things can get better. So you take a marriage that's in disaster, and if both of them will stop listening to their heart and start listening to God's word. There's hope. In our country today, if everybody will stop listening to their heart and start listening to God's word, there's hope. That's why we come and pray. Say, well, my, my, you know, I don't really want to. Well, of course you don't. Your heart doesn't want you to learn to do godly things. But when you come and pray, you begin to partner with God to bring his presence into the issues of your life. Friends, when we recognize the world's not what it's created to be, I'm not what I'm created to be, but God has made a way. Here's the revelation of a biblical father in heaven who says there is hope that my life can get better. In Romans 5, 8, it says this, but God shows his love, his desire for the best for us. In that while we were still sinners, while we were still living life our own way, Christ died for my sin. He paid the price of my sin 
so that if I cry out to him, ask him to forgive me, move in my life, that he will do it and his spirit, I'll be born again, his spirit will reconnect with my spirit and he'll begin to work the difference in my life. He'll begin to convict me of sin. He'll begin to lead me to righteousness. He'll begin to take wickedness out of my heart. God will cover me with his grace and his love. God will move in my life. I love the concept of a loving God that changes my life. Now, now why do I believe in all that? Well, I believe in all that because I believe the God of the Bible explains where life came from and what life's all about. Gives me purpose. I believe in that because the God of the Bible has shown me his wisdom through his word, that if everybody lived this way, if everybody, if every husband and every wife lived this way, if every child lived this way, if every person on this earth lives, the world would be a better place. The world would be a better place. The God of the Bible shows us healing communion through his son, that what's broken in me can be fixed. And it shows us that, and the, ev- the evidence of that is all around us. Say, so, well, where? In people where God's changed their life. And people who were one thing came in communion with God and became something totally different. When you see those people, when you get around those people, when you know somebody whose life was radically changed by God, it tells you God is real. He's real, and he'll change your life. And the, the God of the Bible becomes personal through, our, through his presence in our life. He's not just some God out there in the cosmos watching us. The God we're talking about is a personal God. His spirit is here. He promises to be with us forever. This is why a few weeks ago I encouraged you to take this form. And if you you weren't here, you can get one today out of the information. On on Psalm 136. Psalm 136 is the psalm that goes through. The psalmist talking about all the things God did, had done in the life of Israel, and the life of this person that reveals God's everlasting love. And we've challenged you to write your own. To, go, to think back in your life, to take a few minutes, to sit down somewhere alone with God and say, okay, God, can you show me? Will you remind me of places you've been in my life when I didn't even know you were working? When I wasn't even aware you were there? And it won't be long. You'll, be filling in, you'll begin to fill in those blanks. Because a loving God has been active in your life even when you weren't paying attention to him. Even when you didn't know him. You can go online and see mine, see how, how kind of that works out in my life. But I encourage you to do that. Why? Because as you see that, your love for him will grow. And in that appointment with God, you'll begin to experience his presence. The more I discover his presence in prayer, the more I love him. And the more you will as well. Let's worship God with this great song and think about what it says about God in our lives. Someday, someday I'm going to find myself standing before the creator of the universe. 
The enemy's going to be there, and he's going to tell the Father in heaven all the reasons why I shouldn't go into heaven. He's going to talk about my selfishness. He's going to talk about my lies. He's going to talk about all the junk, mean-spirited things I've done in life. And the Father's eyes are going to come to me and say, what do you say? I'm, I'm going to have to say, I'm guilty. Guilty of everyone. I know he's the father of lies, but he's not lying this time. But when I was a boy, I heard somebody talk about my need for Jesus in my life, and I raised my hand. I came to an altar, and I asked Christ into my life, and my faith has been in him forever for your grace to be upon me. Father's going to look to the son and say, is his name in that book? The son's going to open up his book, the lamb's book. He's going to say, Father, his name is right here. And he's going to look at the devil at that moment and say, you have no hold on him. My son paid the price for him. Now, my family, my family may be crying a little bit, may have some friends who say they miss me, but that's going to be a pretty good day for Mark. It's going to be a pretty good day for me. That can be a pretty good day for you. The offer's there. Will you look at the mess that your heart is in? We can look, look at the mess the world is in and say, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I want to be a part of what God wants me to be. That can be a pretty good day for you. Best day ever. Father, in Jesus' name, I just pray that not one person in this room would mess up that day. That every one of us would realize that you've made that day possible for us. You made it possible for our life to get better now, but you've made that day, that great day, that important day, that all-important day possible for us by sending your son while we were still sinners to pay the price for us. Lord, speak to every one of our hearts today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. As every head remains bowed, every eye closed. comes a day, you've got to make a decision. Today's a day like that. Have you decided to follow Christ with all of your heart? Have you surrendered your life to Him? If you haven't, today's a day you can say, I'm going to surrender my life to the one who gave His life for me and ask Him to be the Lord of my life. If that's you, you can just raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, pray for me right now. In Jesus' name, God bless you. I see that hand. Others, you'll raise your hand and say, pray for me today else. Father, you see every hand that's raised today. We thank you for your goodness in our life and that you love every one of us, that no one is excluded from your gift if we ask you into our life. And so today we do that. Let's all pray this prayer together. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I put my faith in Jesus. 
to be my Savior. I put my trust in Jesus to be my Lord. Now I ask you to help me to live for him who died for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Believers, are you grateful for what God's done for us? Then let us be a people who are passionate about sharing that with others. And if you're afraid of that, if you're fearful of that, if you, you know, don't know how to do that, I want to encourage you. Where we start is in prayer, asking His Spirit to give us boldness. Come and join us tonight. Join us tomorrow night. Begin to pray. God, give me the boldness to be a witness to others in your wisdom. Amen. Father, I do pray you do that for us. Fill us with your bolts. We want to see dozens of people come to Christ every week. We want to see our friends come to Christ sitting at a lunch table. Father, sitting in our car talking, sitting in a living room. Lord, let us be active soul winners, we pray. Fill us with boldness. Fill us with wisdom to see our loved ones and our friends come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Go with us today. Amen and amen. I love you. Go in the peace of God today.